You're listening to Power Athlete Radio, a podcast dedicated to empowering your performance every damn day. Join former NFL pro and Power Athlete founder John Wellborn as he dissects the greatest minds in strength, conditioning, and more. Joining him is everyone's favorite coach and hair model, Chris, a.k.a. Tex McQuilkin, Power Athlete's Director of Performance. So whether your goal is to be the hammer, destroy mediocrity, or simply move the dirt, you've come to the right place. Now with the warm-up done, let the games begin. Hey, welcome to another episode of Power Athlete Radio. I'm John Walborn, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Chris McQuilkin. Howdy. Good to see you. And we have a third stud in the room, the 800-pound gorilla, Dr. Matt Zanis. White gorilla. I'm just 800 pound gorilla. I'm a silverback for sure. Uh, <laughs> good to be here again, guys. Yeah, thanks for having yeah. me. In this humidity, your hair is on point. You like it? It's nice and voluminous yeah. right now, isn't it? What's going on with this? I mean, I feel like it's just. When was your last haircut? Is there like a motif for what you're really going for? Eight here? weeks ago, my last haircut. They took about an inch off the bottom. Yeah, so keeping it nice. Get rid of your split ends. Got rid of the split ends. I've got some really healthy hair, though. Nice. Actually, just shaping it up, well, adding some layers. It, it goes down to your shoulders. Yes, it does. Past the shoulders. See shoulder, what I did shoulder there? blades, actually. We're talking shoulders today, John. Uh, That's what a, a transition do you go think, no smoother than Do that. you think that the weight of his hair on his shoulder might be affecting the movement and the function of his shoulder? Well, that's why my traps are so big. Mm. Mm-hmm. He's got to carry the world on those yeah. suckers. Well, let's dig into the shoulder. I mean, I know you're a shoulder expert, and the shoulder is one of those mm-hmm. misunderstood joints. I mean, you think about, you know, the hip and the knee, just, you know, I mean, maybe the hip has more rotation similar to the shoulder, mm-hmm. but, you know, maybe it's because it's a bigger joint, more muscle around it, but it feels like when people talk about pain, it really goes into two places. It's the back and the shoulder. Mm-hmm. And the shoulder being, you know, this 360 joint with all this different uh, positions. It's also higher in the body, so there's more gravity and more force, and it's you know our interaction with the hand. But I'd love to get into a little bit more yeah, of the shoulder dysfunction, absolutely. and more importantly, how we can fix it and uh, potentially avoid any shoulder issues in the future. Well, what's interesting about the shoulder complex in and of itself, because when people think about the shoulder, they usually just go to the ball and socket joint, mm-hmm. but we have to think about the scapula, so that whole entire shoulder complex. It is the most mobile joint in the body, and it's a very complex joint. There's a lot going on there. Um, there's really only one bony strut, and that's your collarbone. The rest of the stability and the movement around the shoulder is controlled via the muscles. Mm. Okay? Uh, but because of that, the shoulder and shoulder pain, shoulder injuries, accounts for actually like 36% of all injuries in the human body. And then because of all the work we do with the special operations group, um, the research on that, they've got about 24% of all of their downtime and injuries is in the shoulder as well. Mm. So it's really highly prevalent type of injury in the body. Um, and there's, uh, like I said, there's a lot going on there, which means there's a lot of digging into that needs to happen to understand what exactly the source of the problem is. Yeah. And you've done an extensive amount of research and not only done the research, you've provided therapy mm-hmm. and then pieced together an amazing shoulder course on powerathletehq.com forward slash academy that synthesizes all of this information and now we hand it off to athletes to understand and perform self-assessments and then deliver a program to them yes. through this course. And that's the beauty of it, too, is that the self-assessment piece is the priority. That's number one, because there is no magic bullet. There's no magic exercise that's going to fix you. Uh, you have to actually understand what the source of your particular problem is. Now, granted, we can talk in some generalities and some um, you know, highly prevalent 
sources that are that are occurring in, in the shoulder joint because we're all humans. We all kind of abide by the same principles, but then, you know, each of us is built a little bit, little bit differently and we move in different ways, have different job responsibilities and play different sports. So that's where like the, the uniqueness comes in, the contextuality comes in as well. Yeah. And we saw that in our workout this morning. We, we did. were doing some fun shoulder stuff and I was yeah. smashing you because I got these little levers. No, it's only because John was actually taking up all the time here and talking mm. to me. So you, that's why you got ahead. No, I was traveling less distance. You were. Those, old, those little T-Rex arms were coming in handy for you, yeah. which we do have video proof of. Maybe we can put that stuff in the show notes. For sure. <laughs> Chris is a good mover. You know? He short, is a great mover. Yeah, uh, short limbs. Yeah. Um, what was the one uh, when we did the scans? What was it? Bone density or structure? Oh. You had something that you were... Uh, well, I mean, to- top 99 percentile in the world for bone density. Mm-hmm. Was it really 99 percent? I can't remember. I it was like 97 and we were all bit. like 98 and 99 or something. Whatever. Luke claims. Yeah. We have no. to go back to the books. But now I'm definitely back ahead, Luke. Yeah. No, he's, you know, he stopped training. So. Rib. Out of the race. Yeah. Uh, yep. Yes. And the, the cool thing we were speaking to during uh, training today and what you're emphasizing in the direction for me during those uh, pike push-ups, fingertip push-ups mm-hmm. was the relationship between the hands mm-hmm. and the feet. And you dive in and explore this uh, with the course because you also have a foot course yeah. on Power Athlete Academy. But now speak to the relationship between the hands and the feet because most people can't mm-hmm. make this full body perspective that you provide in the course. Hmm. Yeah. Well, the hands have a lot to do in common with the feet for a number of different reasons. If you look at the feet, we're on them all day long, right? So we perform a lot of closed chain movement in them, squatting, lunging, walking, closed chain movement. The hands, on the other hand, they perform primarily open chain movement. We don't spend a lot of time planting our hand on a surface and moving the rest of our body around it. It's quite the opposite. Even with all the, the movements that we do in the gym, like bench press, dumbbell pressing, um, any, any kind of movement like that, you're looking at kettlebell snatches, that type of thing. It's all open chain movement, and that's what we do primarily throughout the day. We brush our hair, we drive our car, we wipe our own ass. I wipe my own ass. Big daddy. Yeah. Uh, so we use all the, those muscles in an open chain pattern. So when we're looking at building um, capacity in the shoulder, I like to look at it from a closed chain movement and really relate it to the same function of the feet because the feet and the hands have um, very unique properties to them. The skin on the hand is called glabrous skin. It's only found in those two places. It's hairless. Right? I don't even know. Maybe you don't abide by that. You got hair all over your place. Me and Jack Black, hairy yep. palms. Uh, so it re- literally means to grasp something. Is what They have haptic receptors in there, okay? <clears throat> and the hand needs to be able to detect information from the environment as well, just like our feet. So the feet send a lot of information up to the brain that tells the body how to move with the hips and the pelvis and the low back. And the hands tell our elbows and shoulders had to move as well. So one through that sensory stimulation, uh, but then biomechanically as well is where you're feeling pressure. So one of the similarities between both the uh, hand, the, the shoulder course and the foot and ankle course is this self-assessment of discovering where you're putting pressure in your hands in things like a pull-up and a push-up. There's these like basic body weight movements because that gives us an idea of which structures you're utilizing over and over and over again that could potentially be leading to some stress and wear and tear of these same structures and potentially being the source of the pain problem. Walk us through your discovery of these assessments and understanding the different pressures and where it's applied to pushing versus pulling. I found that pretty awesome in the Mm -hmm. course. Yeah. So, uh, I like to look at the, like I said, the push up and the pull up is the 
the best lens to view this through because it's really easy to, to do it for yourself, right? And to figure it out and to experience it. Uh, so if you look at the push-up, the push-up essentially involves, involves a closed chain row, right? You're rowing yourself down to the bottom, uh, the, to the floor, and then you're pressing yourself away. And where we put pressure in the hand is really going to dictate which muscle actions occur. So for example, when we have the first part of that movement being the row, it is a pull, right? And when we are activating a pulling pattern, there should be pressure, pressure through the uh, lateral aspect of the hand or the outside portion of the hand and then towards the heel because that's going to stimulate a few different patterns in the body. It's going to create elbow flexion with shoulder extension, scapular, scapular retraction, and then also depression and um, thoracic extension. So think about expansion through the rib cage. The rib right. cage is going to flare up a little bit, and you can get the upper back to bend backwards. Versus the pressing motion, which is going to be the exact opposite. Okay, you're going to get elbow straightening there. Okay, their pressure is going to be towards the middle portion of the hand. So think more in between the thumb and the pointer finger. And with that, you're going to get protraction out of the shoulder, elevation of the shoulder, and then thoracic compression, right, or flexion, which is going to bring the rib cage down. And then we can tie in one very, very important component. Whenever we talk about the shoulder, we have to talk about the breath. Right? And so the inhale is a very expansive movement. That's going to create that extension through the shoulder. And then your exhale is going to be that more that compressive. And it's going to help with these patterns as well. Yeah. We get into when we teach and introduce the squat, one of the things we change for a lot of people is their thumb position. So now, John, speak to thumb over versus thumb wrapping around, and let's aim to connect that to our shoulder health course. Yeah, um, no dig on starting strength in Mark Ripto and those individuals that tend to go with the thumb over the top. Uh, the reason I personally don't like the thumb over the top, what ends up happening is people start pressing the hand into it, and it gets a position where now all of a sudden the elbow and the shoulder start kind of getting into this kind of like, I guess it's, would that be uh, external rotation? But as they're pushing down, we saw people developing shoulder pain and also elbow pain. Mm -hmm. So what I ask people to do is to grab the bar, drop the shoulder, and pretend like you're trying to press up and drive the bar off my back. Aligning the knuckles and the elbow. So we get a straight line, yep. no break at the wrist. So instead of torquing this way, where now all of a sudden I'm pressing here and I'm almost uh, internally rotating and creating all of this tension in the shoulder and the elbow, I'm grabbing and I'm driving up, which if you think about it from a point of physics... If the bar is where the weight is sitting, I want to drive from that position. So I'm not just trying to move from point A to point B with my legs, but as I'm trying to drive that load off me, that position I want is with the elbow down, like almost like I'm trying to do uh, like a push jerk or a push press with the bar off my back. And I found by dropping the elbow and driving up here, it created a much more natural position for the scapula in the back and allowed us to have greater extension. Mm -hmm. Not that we want a ton of extension, but I could keep that good hollowed out position from the dead bug in a better position in the upper body. It just looked better to me. And after watching thousands of people squat, especially at the seminars and through the years, um, you start understanding that there's these different components within the technique that if you can make these small adjustments, it ends up going downstream and resulting in mm -hmm. a better movement. And we can build a bigger platform because we saw and created the connection to the pull-up mm -hmm. and wrapping our thumbs around that bar. Yep. It was the same position if we snapshotted the barbell in the back to the, stop, the top of our strict pull-up. And then we were able to make a connection for people via there. More weight that we can mm -hmm. theoretically hold on our back, we can eventually squat. Yeah. 
And that you, you bring up this idea of watching thousands of athletes over the, the decades that you've been doing this. And that brings in the idea of pattern recognition, right? Which is what we utilize to then develop these programs. Cause then we can give them what they need to attack that limiting factor. So like with the shoulder, if you see somebody going for a back squat and even when they are wrapping their hand around the bar, but they can't quite seem to get that elbow into a good position, yeah. we know we're, they're missing a lot of that closed chain glenohumeral external rotation. So now we have a path to take them down, right? To be able to program, to be like, work on that shoulder from a, like a, a, a minutia standpoint, like we can attack that specific joint, which is, is then going to build into the greater pattern. And you know, the same thing with the pull-up, you're gonna see the same pattern emerge. Yeah. What happens when they get to the top of it? You, you see the neck crane, right, yeah. like you're doing, and then the shoulders will internally rotate and elevate. Um, frozen shoulders, uh, something like, um, you know, the tissue quality in the back of my shoulder ended up deteriorating. And mm-hmm. it's sort of presenting like a frozen shoulder, but it's atypical because it's actually only in that posterior capsule. Everything else, I'm fine everywhere. It's mm-hmm. just in that posterior capsule, which ends up com- you know, being an issue in, with uh, external rotation. Um, as, you know, when the doctor kind of was like, you know, the tissue quality is presenting like a frozen shoulder, but it's not a frozen shoulder because it usually happens th- to the entire capsule. Mm-hmm. Yours is kind of an acute, just like the tissue quality is bad in the back of your capsule. So as I dug in on all the research on frozen shoulder, it's pretty amazing that frozen shoulder happens um, as a result of like a whole bunch of weird health things. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we've seen it within people with type 2 diabetics. I mean, there's a lot of different mechanisms for that. It's pretty interesting that different health markers end up resulting in this. And it becomes this thing that, you know, you end up having to, people could do some manual manipulations under anesthetics or under anesthesia. go to PT. I mean, there's a million different ways that people have uh, solved it, but it's pretty fascinating that you have something because that really happens in no other joint in the body. So why is it that the shoulder, is it because it's near the heart, but like, why is it that the shoulder has so much dysfunction and you could even have the point where the capsule ends up getting locked down due to some health issues? Well, bringing up frozen shoulder, there are a a bunch of different um, underlying factors for it, with a lot of them being neurological in nature. But I want to speak to the the physiological component because what you're describing for your particular case, if we're going to call it acting like frozen shoulder, had to do with what you did for a living for a number of years, right? Yeah, the NFL thing tends to put me at a bit of a disability. But but look at at the impact forces that you were undergoing, right? So you're getting direct horizontal impact forces into the shoulder on a daily basis for and you can take even into account your high school and college, and college years. Yeah, 20 plus years. Years as well. So that direct force is going to change to tell the body to change and adapt. And it's like, shit, we're taking a lot of pounding in the back of our shoulder. Let's just build it up. Like yeah. Let's lay down some new uh, calcium there and lay down some new structures to make it a little bit more solidified so that we can stabilize this joint. It wasn't the fault of you. You didn't do anything wrong. It was just how your body managed the situation. I think that's a really important part to consider. But what we see with frozen shoulders is that a lot of time it's not actually structural in nature like where that where the um, capsule actually calcifies Mm -hmm. that's only a very small percentage of the cases a lot of times people get frozen shoulder where they can't move into like any plane of motion within like 10 degrees in all directions Uh, but we're finding is that it's actually more of a neurological thing so that that fear component the fear of moving there's a psychological component to it where their brain is very defensive in nature over that shoulder and that's where we got to kind of peel the layers the under uh, layers of the onion back to understand did they experience some type of trauma around the shoulder in previous years that's now manifesting or was there something that happened to them maybe um, like sexual abuse or something a little bit more nefarious like that that's the brain is now saying hey we don't we don't want to move this because there's potential danger here 
Yeah, but it doesn't happen in the knee, doesn't happen in the ankle, doesn't happen in uh, another joint For, like the hip. Like it's not yeah. as if I have frozen hip syndrome because of well, some emotional distress or something that might have happened to me early in my childhood. Well, that, that's uh, so you can have something called complex regional pain syndrome which is kind of like a similar mechanism. We see this in the lower body where for whatever reason, there's this like a crazy immune response where you get all this redness, swelling, inflammation, locking of the joint, like the ankle or the knee for no apparent reason whatsoever. So that'd be like a, a correlate mm -hmm. to this. Um, but from the shoulder standpoint, the shoulder, like I said, the shoulder is the most mobile joint in the body. Mm -hmm. So it comes down to safety and security. Yeah, I mean, it's really the only 360 right? joint we have. The right? only one. Yeah. It's like a golf ball sitting on a tee. So if there's any threat, rather, whether it's gonna be real or imagined, the body will still try and protect the joint as quickly and as fastly as fast as possible. Well, and we're also kind of in this um, internally rotated position yeah. where now all of a sudden the shoulder uh, is on the front part of the scap and is mm -hmm. kind of here in this unprotected position where we know when the shoulder's sitting farther back, it's a safer position for it, but yet our entire life is in this, which it feels like the mechanism for all existence, whether it be on a phone sure. or a computer or whatever we're doing as we're rolling here, oh, puts the shoulder in this uh, terrible position all the time. And one of the things I've always talked about for lifting weights and one of the big things with pulling is just being able to teach people to mm -hmm. keep their shoulder on the back of the scapula, which is a safer position. Um, it's not a terrible position. So I wouldn't necessarily say it's a safer position. It's that people don't have as much capacity in that position, right? So, for example, you're right. We spend the majority of our time with everything in front of us. That's where our eyes are. That's how we manipulate objects. Everything is out here in front. So we do adopt these positions there, which creates a lot of time under tension there. So what ends up happening then is that all the, the structures on the back of the shoulder will be situated in more of a lengthened position, mm -hmm. Okay. And putting the, the shoulder into a more retracted, externally rotated position in a scapular depression, it is more of what we call like a closed pack position of the joint. So yeah, there's a lot more, a little bit more stability and structure there. However, I, I, I hesitate to say that one is safer than the other. I just don't think people spend a lot of time strengthening more of that protracted position where the shoulder can come forward. Because you can be strong in that position too, as well. It's not a, like it's not a bad position to, to 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 be in. And I do that a lot of teaching that in the shoulder course as well, how to get into that position in a safe way and to strengthen there. Because what we see is that people over the years have had this dogma driven down their throats where the only way to do a movement for the shoulder is with scapular retraction and depression. Pull your shoulder blades to your spine. How many times have you heard that, uh, right? You know, we used to and teach it with the bench press because it shortened the lever. And then we had Dr. Fred Hatfield on the podcast mm -hmm. and he actually talked about he developed a bench where the, there were cutouts so the scapulas could move. Mm -hmm. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. And we had a really interesting conversation about it uh, at length where he talked about, you know, ideally, if you're trying to move a heaviest weight possible, you know, obviously you want to short the, you know, the range of motion, the muscle, maybe pitting the scapula is beneficial because it shortens sure. the range Then you can go from point A to point B to lift monster weight. But he also talked about the negative effects of pinning the shoulder blades, especially ramming them into a bench or mm -hmm. into the floor and not allowing them to move with that because he said you want the scapulas to be able to move and felt that uh, for function, health, and longevity, um, you know, actually, uh, you know, not a retracted position more, but neutral position was beneficial where your scapulas could move. Yeah. Um, and that actually ended up sneaking into my teaching where, you know, I was kind of teaching such a hard retraction because I was so focused on how do you bench the biggest weight possible, yeah. but then it comes at what cost. Now, if you're reducing function and you're creating a pattern that's resulting in injury, 
Um, is it really important how much you bench if you only could bench that for a short period of time and you don't have longevity? So I actually adjusted how I teach mm-hmm. the bench press yeah. based off of that conversation where you talked about letting the scapulas be more neutral yeah. and move. You've progressed and evolved your teachings, which is great, right? So yeah, no, I've, I've made mistakes. I'm the first we, one to tell yeah, you. all of them, every time, um, which is where we, we learn these lessons from, which I think is great. This episode of Power Athlete Radio is powered by Train Heroic the most immersive strength training app experience on the market. We've built our online training business by partnering with Train Heroic and helping us deliver all of our world-class training programs like Jack Street, Field Strong, and Grindstone. To learn which Power Athlete training program best suits your goals, head to powerathletehq.com training. And if you're a coach looking to build a business with the best tech and training, go to trainheroic.co forward slash powerathletehq. And one of these uh, movements, I think, just in, in line with the bench press, is like a one-arm dumbbell row mm-hmm. that a lot of people tend to, to mess up because, and I see this on, on the Instagram world all the time with these little fitness influencers, and they're driving the shoulder blade down and back, and then they're starting the rowing motion. So at that point now, we've locked the shoulder into one position, and the only muscle groups that you can use are the humeral attachments, right? The ones attaching into the glenohumeral joint, and we're taking out the function of the shoulder blade at that point. Versus allowing, let's just say you're doing the right side, allowing that right arm to drift across your front foot and take the whole entire shoulder blade into protraction. And now you're allowing the muscles to go through a lengthened position under load. They're going to go through an eccentric. And the way that your, your body works, your, your muscles are actually really stupid in nature. Okay? They only re- respond and contract based off of the position of the joints. So in this case, the shoulder blade going into a lengthened position is now going to take all those retractors sorry, the shoulder blade going into protraction will take all those muscles into a lengthened position and then we'll get a neurological reflex loop like a, like a deep tendon reflex to contract and pull you back to a good position. So this is where we develop a lot of, um, I think, pain presentations from is that we keep all of the shoulder retractors shortened and then we keep all the muscle in the front lengthened for something like that, like a dumbbell row, and then you overstress and overutilize only those humeral attachments of the shoulder, of the glenohumeral joint versus allowing the the muscles around the shoulder blade to work and participate in the movement. And I look at it this way. is like muscles like to be able to move through their greatest excursion of movement possible. Mm. And then they have a set balance point, like a center point. Like you call it neutral. Mm-hmm. Right? I call it a center point, a set of portion of a, a place of balance that they like to rest in. And what becomes a problem is if you do all these movements, let's just say with like the retract the shoulder blade, now your resting position is here versus allowing the shoulder to rest in a more quote unquote centered position. Would it make sense? And we'll use the one arm dumbbell row for an example, right? Like let's say I'm doing a standing, I have my hand benched or like my hand resting on the, on a, let's say the rack. Mm -hmm. Um, Most people kind of come here and they just row this way. Uh, I personally like to allow my shoulder to come as Mm -hmm. far forward as I can and then allow the shoulder to move here, you know, pull through the lat, hold the position and come back. And I I watch a lot of people just kind of like almost like they're trying to, you know, (laughs) pull start a lawnmower. And I always, I I think about really coming through and allowing that shoulder to come here. And then, you know, the tighter, I also learned this in JITS, um, but we also know this within training the lat and bodybuilding, that the tighter I can keep the elbow to the rib cage, almost like brushing against it, trying to light a match, the more activation of the lat I get. So I watch people do these rows with the elbows way out, but it's actually when you Mm -hmm. keep it nice and tight, you pull it into your pocket, but allowing it to come forward and actually using the weight to take you through a true full range of motion, more so than just like, kicking into this like what I looked from like four to eight instead of going from like zero to ten 
kind of room. Absolutely. Yeah. And because what ends up happening then is you turn a, a movement into just a satchel plane movement, right? So the dumbbell row is only essentially up down at that point versus like you're talking about taking that weight across the foot. Now we're adding in the frontal plane and the rotational plane and allowing that lat to be put in its most benefit or mechanically advantageous position to pull from. Mm -hmm. And so you see this, um, we start looking at, at patterns and clues of how people are moving. You'll see this if you have somebody take their shirt off and look at their back and they've got these giant, well, one, big biceps. Two, they have big Terry's major in the back, right? And no lat. Mm -hmm. And so now we know the way they're moving, probably doing a fuck ton of butterfly pull-ups too. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> circle pull-ups? Circle pull-ups. The lat's an interesting one. Um, I see people constantly doing you know, lat pull-downs and all this lat activation. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, um, they rarely are ever activating their lat because they just probably need to open a little bit of a kinesiology or a little mm -hmm. bit of like muscle activation, like just do a search on it. Be like, how, like what positions allow you to activate the lat? And you know, we found basically within the rowing complex that as you bring the elbow nice and tight to that rib cage, it gets the lat much mm -hmm. more. And then being able to, you know, and I, I love the, the 90 handles because I can almost kind of rotate this way and pull yes. and find some and, and, different but, positions. And now you're bringing in the hand component, yeah. right? So you're, you're adding that extra amount of rotation to start to wind up the tissue like a spiral pattern. And uh, I'll tell you guys a quick story because it just highlights the uh, importance of hand function and how it actually affects the shoulder. Uh, I was just in Italy working with a private client. Can't really say his name on the, Bill. On the inter interwebs. Yeah, we'll say Bill. Um, but he's a, he's a, he's a higher-end client, and he was getting two stocks made for his shotgun at probably the world's best stock-making facility in Italy. And it's just this like 50-year-old dude who learned this trade from his dad, like the apprenticeship model. And it's, John, it's like an art. I believe it. Sounds amazing. This, right? and they start with this, this just block of wood and turn it into this custom artful piece that gets attached to a powerful weapon. It's mm -hmm. amazing, right? And I know how to fit a shotgun, like the basic stuff, like the three-point check and everything, but this guy has like 20 points that he looks at and all the different measurements and everything based off of this particular individual's biomechanics, his body type, and how he's shaped and how he mounts the gun, how he likes to shoot, mm -hmm. okay? And so this particular individual came to me because a lot of uh, shoulder, head and neck issues, a lot of headaches when shooting. All right. And you could do all the different movements in the world to build better capacity around uh, all the neck muscles and the sub, uh, suboccipital muscles and put the head into a better position and build the upper traps to help with the neck pain and everything like that. However, what it came down to is that the grip on his stock was wrong mm. from the get-go. Okay? He was in a position where the hand, the wrist, was in this ulnar deviation where it was kind of tilted forward on the gun instead of like a neutral, like straight ahead. And what that does is it drops or it elevates the elbow and elevates the shoulder. So now you get stuck into this internally rotated position and then it will ex extend the neck and have him look up in a way. So now from a shooting standpoint, it's taking the eyes off the rim of the gun. Well, now so and also uh, the recoil of the gun as your forward is jamming, jamming into the shoulder, which is probably the least advantageous position you want your shoulder in as it's getting fucking loaded. Mm -hmm. Into an internally rotated position yeah. like that. But then also when those suboccipitals in the first cervical vertebrae, first and second cervical vertebrae get stuck in this little bit of extension forever and ever and ever, it'll do two things. It'll produce a lot of headaches that come across the eyes. But then, too, it actually starts to affect the vision. So you're already kind of shooting yourself in the foot when it comes to shooting performance That's at good that pun. point. Yeah, like that one. I like shooting yourself in the foot. Yep. And then uh, all we did was we noticed this when he mounted his old, his old stock. And we did is we take, took his wrist and formed the stock into a more neutral position. And guess what that magically did? Fixed all all those issues that we were working through from a training standpoint magically melted and disappeared away 
because we put the shoulder into a better position by working with the wrist and the hand. Sounds amazing. That's how, that's how vitally important that component is. Uh, if you guys are interested in getting more depth and just understanding the shoulder and more importantly how to bulletproof your shoulders, uh, go to powerathletehq.com uh, slash academy. Look for Dr. Matt Zanis's course on shoulder. It's excellent. I highly recommend everybody go check it out. I know we have a sample course, mm -hmm. but it's really good. If you have any shoulder issues or any shoulder pain or dysfunction or you're worried about it, it'll teach you not only how to do the movements, but how to safeguard and bulletproof these things so they don't become an issue down the line. So here we go. Pull Beautiful. yourself up with this course. Ooh, look at you. I like it. No, it, it, right. it's excellent. Dude. You yeah. did a, a great job. And I think I, I recommend it at least once a day to somebody mm -hmm. just because the shoulder is one of those things. It's just, and I, I know from personal experience, once you injure your shoulder, do whatever you have available to you to get it healthy and get it back mm -hmm. because nagging shoulder injuries, they fuck up your sleep. Yep. They, they hurt when you drive. Everything you do trying to put on a shirt or a jacket, you will, I mean, I've had two shoulder surgeries and the positions you get in where you don't think your shoulder is going to be affected mm -hmm. present themselves multiple times a day. So don't let it just fall by the wayside. Don't forget about it. Don't just kind of say, oh, it'll go away. Be proactive, fix it, strengthen it, and continue to train and live your best life. Yeah. Awesome. Great. Again, that's powerathletehq.com forward slash academy. Don't let shoulder pain steal your quality of life. Matt, thank you for joining us for another episode of thank the Premier Podcast and yes. Strength and Conditioning. Power Athlete Radio. Bye. Bye. Bye.